following presentation is part of a six-week class titled Introduction to Mindfulness. The class is offered at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. Nice to see you here tonight. I recognize a lot of you, maybe almost a third. So for all the people who are new to Common Ground, it's a not a sign that all the previous instruction has failed, but it tells you something really important about the practice of mindfulness, which is it's really simple but not so easy. And uh, so it's really nice for me and I think for all of us to hear the instructions over and over again. So before I even introduce myself, let's just do a, maybe five or ten minutes of practice. There may be a few other people coming in, but that's okay. That will be just hearing sounds. So sit in any way that's comfortable for you. And uh, it's important to remember how important it is to be comfortable. Because when the body is uncomfortable, the mind tends to be tight too. Take a deep breath in and out. You can close your eyes if you'd like. Or if not closing the eyes, just gazing down toward the floor without looking at anything in particular. <clears throat> You're just noticing the first thing that you're aware of. And see if you can let it be. And now, doing a simple body scan. Simply feel the very top of the head, even if that part of the body is nondescript. Feel the back of the head just as it is. Feel the sides of the head, the ears. Opening or receiving the sensations of the forehead now. In a sense, surrender or open up to these very ordinary sensations. The brow, the forehead. Feel both eyes. Literally feeling the eyeballs and the eye sockets. Feel the eyelids. Touching the eyes, feeling any movement in the eyes, and then feeling the skin of the face, maybe feeling the air touching the skin, noticing if it's cool or warm, noticing if the lips are touching or slightly apart, dry or moist. Noticing any sensations in the mouth, the teeth and gums, tension in the jaw. For a few more seconds, let's feel the whole head together now, the face and head. This unconditional surrender or openness, just letting the head and face be. And then allowing the natural sensitivity 
of the mind to know the neck. So if there's any sensations of tension, just knowing the tension without needing to fix it, without being against it. Tensions like this, perhaps feeling the pulse. Just allow the neck to be. Feel now the tops of the shoulders. Even if the sensations here are unpleasant, see if it's possible to be intimate with the sensations at the tops of the shoulders. Shoulder joints, too. Letting things be. Feeling both arms and both hands. Feel the clothes touching the skin of the arms. Feel the breeze or air touching any exposed skin. Feeling the places of contact, hands touching the legs, for example. And for a few more seconds, trusting, surrendering to the arms and hands, just let them be. Now opening to the entire front side of the torso. Just feel the base of the throat, noticing the collarbones and the upper chest, feeling the entire front side of the rib cage. Again, the clothes against the skin, the movement of the breath, the beating of the heart. Noticing the solar plexus. Being receptive to the belly. All the different qualities of the abdomen, both the surface and then any sensations that are available below the surface. Right down to the groin. Simply knowing things as they are, the front side of the body is like this. Can this be okay? Trusting it. And then now the back, the back of the torso, beginning at the back of the neck. And even if there's stiffness or unpleasant sensations along the back of the shoulders or anywhere in the back, not needing to feel responsible to fix or change, but instead simply to know that the back is like this now. As we move the awareness down through the back, through the spine, shoulder blades, also the sides of the back, sides of the ribs, down through the kidney areas, down into the lower back. Feel the tailbone, the buttocks, the back of the hips. 
And then for a few seconds, feeling both the front and the back sides of the torso, and of course everything in between. Opening to the trunk, just as it is. And then let the awareness settle down into the pelvis. So feel the sits bones against the chair or the cushion, the bench. Feel the groin again. And then the entire floor of the pelvis, just as it is. Feel the structure of the hips. And then feel both legs coming out of the hips, the thighs. Feel the contact, any points of contact, or just generally the clothes touching the skin. Feel the bending of the knees, or any sensations in the knees. Any sensations in the shins, in the calves. Feel both ankles just as they are, and the tops of the feet, and the bottoms of the feet, feeling the sides of the feet and the toes. So for a few seconds, feeling both legs and feet just as they are. Feeling the whole body now together. Willing to include all the sensations. In a sense, saying yes to the present moment flow of sensation in the body. Yes, this is how it is now. Notice how the mind is capable of being both very relaxed, accepting, but also very alert, interested at the same time. This feeling of being grounded or centered and bright, alert. And now just as an experiment, see if you can stop being aware of the body, of the present moment. Is there a way to shut off the awareness? When you feel ready, you can open your eyes. Also feel free to stretch out the body any way you might need to. Release any 
tension, if you feel some. So again, welcome. <clears throat> My name is Mark Nunberg, and I'm the what we call the guiding teacher at Common Ground, which basically means that I clean the bathrooms and, <laughs> and everything in between, teaching. And uh, we've been here since 93, offering different kinds of programs. And this is what we call a Vipassana, or Insight Meditation Center. So it's a form of mindfulness meditation that comes out of the Buddhist tradition, and more specifically, the Theravada Buddhist tradition. There are different schools in Buddhism. But the fortunate thing is you don't need to be a Buddhist, any kind of Buddhist, to be interested in mindfulness. Mindfulness is really something that all human beings naturally, to whatever degree, all human beings naturally know something about mindfulness. Unfortunately, the culture we live in, and maybe most cultures these days, our culture is really dominated by the force of distraction. I'm sure this isn't new to you. And uh, so mindfulness is even more important given that, that truth. And with the sophistication of media and technology, it's easier and easier to distract yourselves. I mean, it's amazing how much, how many varieties of distractions there are, from getting excited about new kitchen gadgets to following politics to, you know, all the amazing stories, whether it's movies or books or magazine articles or our own stories that we can hear our friends telling us or ourselves telling our friends. So there's just so much to absorb into. And in doing that, losing connection with something that feels very alive and real. In a way, we become, all of us, to some degree, have become a stranger to our life because we're so lost in our various patterns of distraction. And your pattern of distraction may be different than mine. I mean, what I get lost in, what I get caught up in, may be very different than what you get caught up in. But how we get caught up makes us very similar. And the process of abandoning the distractions coming into the present moment, it's very similar. That dynamic is very similar. So one of the ways that we'll really learn over the next six weeks is for all of us, and each, each of us, given you know, our particular life situation, committing to this practice of being in the present moment. And I'll, of course, give you some techniques, some instructions for how you might do this. But the important thing is for each of us to try to practice being in the present moment, formally in, in the form of the mindfulness meditation practice and informally all day long, to keep coming back to the simple presence. The mind is like this. The body is like this. This is how it is. It's so simple. But how many moments today was there a clear awareness that, or this is how it is now. This is how it is in the body. This is how it is in the mind. I'm not saying that we are completely oblivious or completely unmindful. But moments of, of deep, clear presence, it's 
relatively rare for most of us. And if we can bring back our experiences of, of moving into distraction and dropping out of distraction, it will really support, we'll really support each other. So I'm saying that to, to put some of the responsibility on you. And, and this is actually a really nice motivation so that you're not just practicing for the development of your own practice, but we're also practicing in a way to support each other in the discussions that we'll have. So just a couple nuts and bolts, uh, in case you're wondering. If you're new here, there is a bathroom down the stairs right around that corner there. And to the left, second door, I'm sorry, to the right, second door on the right. And so feel free to use the bathroom anytime during the evening, except when we're in the middle of a formal sitting time. But while I'm talking, it's, it's really OK to go down and use the toilet if you need to. There's also extra room down there, down there for coats if uh, later in the six weeks it gets cold. You can put your coats downstairs. There's not much room in the entranceway for coats. Um, I mentioned earlier that there's a place to sign in. You don't need to do it now. And there's some handouts. And please, you don't need to get them now. But on your way out, you can pick up some handouts and uh, sign in so we know who's here. <clears throat> in case other people want to join, it's nice for me to have a, a list of how many people are in the class. So what I'd like to do tonight is just talk a little bit, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, go over the basic instructions. The two sheets of the handout tonight really cover those basic instructions. So if you feel like it would be useful, you can read through them during the week before you do your, your sitting time. And that can be a reminder. And that way you don't feel like you have to like, get tight trying to remember what I'm saying. But I'm going to try to keep the instructions really simple and then offer more specific and complicated instructions when you ask questions or when you share your experience. So then the more it's really interesting and useful how the full range of instruction really comes out of people sharing their experience. That's a good way. So then we hear what's going on in somebody's practice, and then you hear some instructions for how you might relate to that. And it makes it a little bit, those kinds of instructions seem to be easier to um, access and then put into use. So as I mentioned, the basic practice in mindfulness is, first of all, understanding what the experience is when the mind is distracted. Now, of course, when we're really distracted, we don't realize we're distracted. But as soon as we have a moment of mindfulness after having been distracted, then we get a sense of what that is. And it's basically, you know, the mind has this capacity to fixate. And if the fixation is strong enough, we forget that we're fixating on something. So I can have a memory of, you know, my kindergarten teacher. And I'm remembering, you know, a story she said. And if I really, <clears throat> like, put the attention on that, memory I have of my kindergarten teacher telling us of a time she sat on a scissor and how that was kind of her way of warning us about what scissors can do. <laughs> she left a real imprint in my mind. Um, so I can kind of get absorbed into that. And all of a sudden, I might 
forget that I'm here in front of a group of people giving a talk, and I might start remembering the people who were in my kindergarten class and how beautiful I remember that classroom being and how nice it was to walk to and from kindergarten class and North Minneapolis where I grew up and all of those things. I could, I could get lost in it. And then <clears throat> being lost simply means that the mind's fixation on some aspect of the present moment, right? Because that memory is happening in the present moment. In a very real sense, we're never, how could we be anywhere but in the present moment? So we're always in the present moment. But a lot of times, we're not aware there's a present moment when we're in the present moment. So one way to understand what we mean by being present is that there's a breadth or perspective where we understand that this is how it is, here, now, in the present moment. There's that that perspective. That's what it's we're not losing perspective. That's what it means. So it doesn't mean there aren't thoughts in the mind. It doesn't mean we don't have emotions, even strong emotions. It doesn't mean that we're perfectly still. Being present simply is this breadth of understanding. It's like not being confused by these six things. And this is a good thing to remember, these six things. It's not, it's not complicated. Five physical senses. See, we learned this in maybe first grade or second grade. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. And what do you think the sixth thing is? The mind. And these six things are all we ever know. Have you ever known anything besides these six things? Every experience we've ever had is simply knowing thoughts and images in the mind, knowing sounds, knowing smells, knowing tastes, knowing touches, and knowing sights, I think is the one I didn't say. That's it. These are the six, we call them in Buddhism, six sunscapes. And it seems like our life is a little bit more complicated than that. But when we really look at it, our life is simply these six things being known. Where are these six things being known? Where do you know these six things? For example, now. You know them now. You've always known these six things now. You've never known any of these six things at any other time but now. It's always here and now. But see, we don't know that. We, we forget that. We're not aware of that. So the basic problem, as the Buddha summed up, the basic problem, which he called ignorance or misperception, is that we're getting confused by one of these six things. We see something and we get confused by what we're seeing. We see, you know, we have that visual experience, let's say, a really attractive person or a really fearful thing, like a angry dog. And we see that and then we get confused. That, that visual image sends us into this stream of mental proliferation. And as we're thinking, as we have thoughts and images in the mind, we forget this is happening here and now. So we have this formal practice we call meditation, and specifically mindfulness meditation, or awareness practice. It's funny that we have to practice awareness. But what we're practicing is an awareness. We're practicing not being distracted by what's being known. So we, we find a safe place, 
where we have reduced the number of stimulations, the number of events. So we try to find a relatively quiet place, a relatively safe place, a relatively uncluttered place, a place that isn't charged with you know, images that are going to stimulate the mind. We sit in a way that's comfortable, that's not going to put us to sleep. And then we train the mind to pay attention to something relatively neutral. And we're, we're basically practicing not getting distracted. And it seems like this could be the most boring thing in the whole world. And in moments, it definitely will appear to be the most boring thing in the world. And that's just the mind that is literally, very literally, extremely literally, addicted to distraction. Our minds are addicted to distractions. So there's going to be a lot of resistance as we train the mind, as we wean the mind not to need distraction, not to need to get lost in thought. I mean, just think about how much fun it is to watch, you know, whatever your favorite program is on TV. You know, just after a busy day, you know, we just want to absorb into that sitcom or whatever. You know, for me, it's often the news. You know, just absorb into something, like all the problems in the world. We just want to absorb into it. We want to get lost into it. Or for some of you, maybe it's talking with your friends. You know, just gabbing. It doesn't really matter what you're talking about. But just to kind of get lost in that activity. Or some of you, might it might be sort of getting lost in some physical activity, whether it's knitting or working out, doing sports. You know, we have things that we, even making love, having sex, is a way to kind of get lost. Now, all of these things can be quite, uh, can be turned into mindfulness activities. But it's a very different reality when we're doing those things in mindfulness, as opposed to trying to escape our life. So mindfulness, instead of being an, an escape from our life, is we're escaping into our life, in a sense. We're coming more fully into the activity. We're not checking out. We're, there's this sort of hyper-awareness, this. This is, this is how it is. This is what's happening. But this sense of presence doesn't need to control or do. So it's, it's an awareness without the feeling like we've got to control. See, normally when we pay close attention to something, it's when we want to control it. You know, like when it's really dangerous. Like I used to do a lot of backpacking. And <clears throat> when you're crossing a, a really raging stream or a little river, you know, you want to pay really close attention, especially if you've got a backpack on, you're top-heavy, where you place your foot, because you can topple over really easily. You know, and then you can, you know, the, the quality of alertness is really strong, but there's not a lot of relaxation. So we want both that hyper-alertness, that vivid presence, that real brightness, but also this deep sense of trust, of release, of just letting life unfold on it on its own. Now, this is challenging out when we're raising kids or doing our job, or, but we can practice it in the safe environment in meditation. And then in learning it, learning the skill where it's easy, then we take it into our lives. So to, don't think about the meditation as being some escape from your life. You're basically learning a very difficult skill where it's easiest so that then you can start to 
bring it into your life, even if you fall on your face with it, like you try to be mindful when you're talking to somebody or when you're you know, doing your job or taking care of your kids or whatever, <clears throat> but you lose it. But that's okay. We want to bring it into our daily life, but we understand when we do the formal sitting practice, we're doing it where we're creating conditions as much as we can that support it and make it less challenging. And so, as I mentioned, it's really about, you know, it's always easier when you create a pair of opposites. So we're cultivating two seemingly opposite qualities, but they're not. They can be developed in tandem. And this is the trick. You've got to develop these in tandem. Deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper states of tranquility, ease, acceptance, trust, relaxation. So these are all different words for one half of the practice. And the other half, as I mentioned, is deeper and deeper and deeper states of alertness, brightness, interest, this investigative quality of the mind, wanting to know the truth of how it is. Not intellectually, but in an immediate, direct, uh, observational way. Wanting to see, to know, to feel things as they are. And to discover how this quality of interest and brightness, wanting to know the truth, is supported by relaxation and release. Right? Just like getting really tight actually distorts the quality of awareness. If you watch some of the Olympics, you know, some of the best uh, athletes are really released and relaxed. I don't know if you noticed Michael Phelps. I didn't see too much of the Olympics, but a couple times. And one of the times I was watching, he was on, he was like uh, right before performance. And, and even when they interviewed him after, you know, he seems pretty relaxed. I don't know if you noticed that. I mean, he's obviously a, a very energetic person, but he's pretty comfortable. He seems pretty there in the moment. And his body also reflects that sense of ease. And this is generally a really skillful way to to be. So being really relaxed and at ease supports clarity, interest, that sort of knowing the truth. But also that that focus, that alertness also calms the mind. This is this may seem less intuitive. That calmness supports clarity, that's pretty intuitive. That makes sense. But that that alertness, that one pointedness that non-distractedness, that's this side of the equation, that really supports calm. And you, you'll see this is why people like knitting. You know, they, they're doing the knitting, they're focused on the knitting, and they calm down. Because to be really there with the knitting, we have to let go of the worrying, the planning, the judging, the comparing, or any activity that we pay close attention to, that we're really interested in. This is why people like to climb mountains. Because when you're climbing mountains, you're not distracted. And, it, and you get the rush, but it's a, it, the rush isn't like you know, your gaga there on the side of the cliff. The mind gets really still and focused. And it's a very beautiful quality. And you probably have noticed it you know, in various times in your life when you got really focused. Surprisingly, people often will notice this at a time of crisis, like you're rushing a friend to the hospital, 
or you're with somebody in a, who's really in a crisis, how your mind gets really focused. And it's kind of paradoxical, because there you are in this crisis, and given how we're conditioned, we think we should be upset, but actually we feel really present. We feel good in a funny way. Like it's like, it feels really good to be there, to be connected, to be really grounded in doing what needs to be done. So this, this is kind of giving us a taste of what the practice is about. Learning to be really focused and one-pointed and non-distracted, alert, really supports deeper states of tranquility. And deeper states of tranquility and release and trust and acceptance and relaxation supports that one-pointedness, that non-distractedness, that alertness. And this is the engine for what we call in the Buddhist tradition, awakening. So the way the Buddha talked about this path, it's a path of awakening. So instead of a, a life of distraction, a life of being caught in our dramas, our self-centered dramas, it's a life of awakening, of, of generating deeper states of tranquility and alertness in tandem, balance. Because if we just have the tranquility, we're going to go unconscious. We're going to slip into some trance-like state, you know, just sort of be lost, or we'll actually go to sleep. Or if we just, just develop alertness, we're going to be like uh, hyperactive. <laughs> no one's going to be, want to be around us. We'll be sort of like hypervigilant, you know, and controlling. Because this is what happens with alertness without the release. The alertness just, basically, we use the alertness, that sort of hypervigilance, to act out our habit energy, to get what we want, except to get it faster, or to get away from what we don't want. You know, So we become more aversive and more greedy. And like I said, we're not so nice to be around. So if you notice yourself becoming a zombie or unconscious, it doesn't mean that the tranquility is bad. It just means you have to emphasize this part of practice. If you notice yourself becoming hyper-aggressive and aversive and irritated by all things, you know, things that never used to bother you, now are starting to bother you, or things you never wanted before, like the new and improved can opener, now you really want, you got to get it, you know, or the new, you know, the new backpack or the new whatever, and your mind just like devising ways to get it, then you just know that you've got to develop the other side of the equation. So <clears throat> we'll do some sitting in just a few minutes. But So just remember, any of the techniques I offer, it's really about these two things, alertness and relaxation. That one-pointed or that sort of non-distraction, like really seeing things as they are, seeing the truth that the present moment experience and not reacting to it. Just trusting it. Just letting things be. Letting the truth of how it is now be what it is. And we practice with something as simple as the breath. So the basic technique for most of us will be training the mind to be mindful of the breathing process or more generally the sensations of the body sitting. The breath generally works for most people. But if you're someone who has had a lot of breathing problems like asthma through your life, it may not be a neutral anchor for your attention. It may be a really charged anchor. So then don't use the breath. 
You can use some touch points in your body, or even better, just use the experience of the whole body sitting, or you could just uh, move the awareness down and up through the body as an anchor. And what I mean by an anchor is the place we keep returning. So the mind gets distracted, and then we come back. As soon as we notice that the mind's distracted, we just start over again. And then the mind will get distracted again, and then we'll start over again, and the mind will get distracted again, and we start over again. So there's really two main efforts in practice. One, as soon as we notice the present moment, notice that we've been distracted, the first effort is to just remember that we're practicing mindfulness, that the intention of this sitting activity that we're doing isn't to plan our life, even if we feel really creative, like we finally figured out what I need to do, or who I should be with, or who I shouldn't be with, or you know, whatever, even if it seems like this is the time to think this, we want to understand there will be other times to plan, to think, to worry. This is the time I put aside for mindfulness meditation. So that's the first effort, is to remember your intention, to cultivate clear, relaxed presence. And then the second effort is to remember that we're specifically training with the breath or with body sensations. And I'll talk over the weeks why the body is a particularly good object to begin with. Obviously, the point of practice, as I said right at the beginning, is to be mindful all day long, not just of the breath, but mindful of whatever it is that's predominant, just to be fully present in our lives. But we have to understand we're in kindergarten, so we need kindergarten instruction. And so the breath is really that, or the body is really that kindergarten instruction. So we sit down. It's always nice to take a few deep breaths as a way of just settling in. So you can consciously, you don't need to do it now because we're going to stretch your legs in just a moment. And then after you settle in, find a posture that feels good for you. And I'll talk more next week about posture. Then you remember the instruction. Oh, yeah, I'm cultivating a mindful presence, a clear, relaxed, non-judging, non-reactive presence with the breath and whatever arises to disturb the attention to the breath. So we're not at war with our distractions. We just use our distractions. That's just another thing to be mindful of and then come back to the breath. So don't judge the distractions that arise, no matter how obsessive the mind is to go back to this memory or to this whatever. You just see it. And you know it's like this. Thinking is like this. Judging is like this. Comparing is like this. Worrying is like this. Doubting, I never should have come here, is like this. And then we return. And so it's just like we remember we're practicing mindfulness and we're remembering to start over again with the body and with the breath in the body. So let's stand, and I'll give us ba- the, give the basic instructions while we're standing. The Buddha was a very <coughs> smart person, and he realized that if he just taught the practice sitting down, people wouldn't bother to practice any other time. So he said, you can practice in four postures, standing, sitting, lying down, and walking. 
So we'll practice standing to begin with, and this will give us a chance for the legs to relax after sitting for a while. So just rock around on your feet. And as you're doing that, it gives us an opportunity to realize that the feet are making contact with the floor or the cushion. Just feel that very ordinary experience of touching or contact. So we're actually feeling the experience of pressure, hardness, or softness. Maybe even noticing the quality of smoothness or roughness, heaviness or lightness, any tingling, any movement. Feeling the sensations in the legs, whole body standing here, knees a little bent, eyes either just gazing softly toward the floor in front of you or lightly close the eyes. Face is relaxed, eyes are soft. Release any holding in the belly, any tension in the shoulders as best you can. And then take one or two easy deep breaths. Don't rush it. Take your time. Fill and empty the lungs a few times. And then when you're done with the next exhalation, just allow the breathing to continue on its own. So now trusting the body to breathe, however that might be, even if it's erratic or shallow, we know we don't need to consciously control the breath, so we trust the body to breathe. And coming back, feeling the whole body standing now, bringing this clear attention, the body's like this, both the clarity or alertness, but also this sense of release, like fully trusting the body to be the way that it is now, not reacting, not imposing any agenda on the body, but understanding the body's like this, can this be okay? And just notice now the ordinary movement of the breath in the body, wherever it might be clear. Feel the breath moving as it does. The breath comes in and the breath goes out. So becoming more and more interested in what that experience is actually like. So feeling or knowing the in-breath as physical sensation. So it might be feeling the abdominal wall rising or expanding with the in-breath, and then feeling the sensations of contraction or falling with the out-breath. Or for some people it's easier to feel as the touching sensation as the air 
comes in through the nostrils and then back out with the exhalation. Just feel that both the temperature and the quality of touching as the air goes in and out. Train the mind to connect and sustain attention with the ordinary process of breathing, the physicality of the breathing process. Challenge the mind to know the breath all the way through one in-breath without any gaps or breaks in the attention. And then the same, of course, for the exhalation. And if it's easy for one breath, then see if you can string several breaths together without any break or any distraction. Becoming more and more alert and relaxed, trusting. Often the distractions are quite minor, in which case just return to the basic practice of being with the breath or being with whatever predominant body sensations there might be. But if a distraction is quite strong, like a great wave of doubt or confusion or irritation or wanting something, pain, then use this quality of mindful presence and open to the distraction itself. Just acknowledge that this is how it is now. In a sense, create some space for the distraction to be the way that it is. And return to the breath or to the body when you can.
before we come back to the sitting position, just notice how it is standing here, having been mindful of breathing. Maybe you feel both a sense of some quality of calm or tranquility, simple presence. And make sure to open your eyes and take your time. Just notice what it feels like to come into a sitting posture. We're going to continue practicing for 10 or 15 minutes, so sitting any way that's comfortable for you. And uh, if you're new to sitting practice, you may need to make some adjustment during the 15 minutes, so that's okay. Just do it as quietly as you can so you don't disturb the people around you. Generally, we're interested in both. Just like with the mind, we'd like the body to also be relaxed the muscles to be released, but also we want the body to reflect this intention of alertness. So generally there's, we can cultivate the sense of uprightness. So it's as if each vertebra is nicely stacked on the one underneath it, and then the head is nicely balanced on top of the spine. And the spine and the head are stacked in such a way that it doesn't take any muscular effort to maintain the spine the uprightness. But of course, this is a real art. I mean, both it's a matter of developing the strength and the flexibility, but it's also a real art to sort of find the appropriate posture. So just do the best you can, and then just forgive yourself for being imperfect, and relax, accept how it is tonight. And again, you may want to take a deep breath or a couple deep breaths as a way of settling back in. It can be very useful to consciously fill the lungs once or twice and consciously empty them completely. And then whenever you're done, just allow the breath to continue. Feel the body sitting and feeling the breath moving in the body again. If you find it necessary, you can use a meditation word to help support the continuity of attention with the breath. So for example, if you're feeling the breath at the nostrils, you can repeat the words in, out. So it's like a silent whisper, the back of the mind. It's not a demanding voice. And the attention is really with the sensations of the breath at the nostrils. But the noting of the in and out supports the continuity. Or if you're feeling the breath in the belly, you could repeat the words rising, falling. But there are many different meditation words you can use. Calm, ease with the in and out breath. Or use the word peace with the in breath 
or with the out-breath or both. So feel free to experiment a little, but then it's good just to stick to one way of doing it. So you're not always trying to find the best, but just one that's good enough. And only use it if it supports the continuity. If it just creates tension, then drop that meditation word and just continue to feel the breath as it actually is.
the real effort in practice is the willingness to begin again and again and again. Beginning again mostly means recognizing the truth of the present moment, that whatever is happening, it's happening here in the present moment, and it's like this now. So recognize the mind, recognizing that the mind is distracted is a moment of mindfulness. It's not a problem, it's something good. To know that we're distracted means that we're being mindful. So knowing the distraction and then coming back, recognizing the experience of the body sitting, recognize the movement of the breath in the body, connecting, sustaining attention, and perhaps in moments noticing the quality of ease or tranquility as there's some continuity of attention.
taking the last minute or two to remember this possibility of unconditional acceptance. Understanding that this is how it is, this mind, this body, this is how it is now. Can this be okay? Allowing things to be the way that they are now. time. Feel free to stretch out the legs if you'd like. So we have about uh, 25 minutes left. It'd be nice to take some of that time and just to hear from people what you noticed during the sitting time or standing time just now. What seemed easy, what seemed difficult, any questions about the instructions that come to mind that you'd like to clarify. And if you speak up, uh, please say your name and make sure that you speak loudly enough so everybody in the room can hear you. You know, we're not used to, this is a, a novel experience Experience to be standing for one with, the, with your eyes closed. Yeah. And a lot of us, we use our visual experience to kind of keep us centered. And when our eyes are closed, it, we can kind of lose our sense of balance a little bit. So it might have been a little of that. Or it might have been just as you relaxed your body, like you're used to being still by gripping. And the more relaxed you are, your body just doesn't know how to be still. And then the last thing is, the, if you're standing on your cushion, it's just an uneven surface, you know, soft and squishy, and so it's not so easy. But I wouldn't worry about it. It's just something to notice. And you might even notice that in your sitting posture that there's some movement. Now, we don't intentionally move, but you might notice that the body's moving. And don't make it, don't turn it into a problem. Just notice it. And remember not to have any intention to move. But if movement happens, then just notice it. Because the idea of sitting or standing is not to like fix ourselves with tension, but to be really relaxed. And sometimes the body will just move and it's just sort of doing its thing. And we just let it do its thing. As long as it's not harming anybody. Things. Other thoughts or any other things you notice that you'd like to bring up? No, BJ. 
When, when the mind does things like that, rocks the body or, you know, or even like we can, like if you start using one of those meditation words like peace, inhale, exhale, peace, it, it can have that same sort of like we're lulling ourselves to sleep, like exactly as you suggested, BJ, was it? Yeah, or like you might with a child. It's very effective for putting ourselves to sleep. And what we tend not to notice there is how pleasant it is. So when we're being mindful, it means we're being mindful of everything that's happening. And this is especially true in meditation practice. As you get the hang of it, it will be pleasant. And if you don't notice the pleasantness, you will go to sleep. So it's very important as the mind does become more calm, more tranquil, that we have to notice it. So as we're breathing in, we're not just noticing the sensation, uh, sensations of the breath coming in, but we're noticing the pleasantness of that and the pleasantness of it going out. So if you were noticing some just a sense of ease, the body, just out of habit, might just sort of kind of rock itself. And in a way, it's like uh, just appreciating and kind of getting into the feeling of ease. But what we're going to do is just lull ourselves to sleep so we want to wake up to what it's doing. Not in order to judge it or to stop it, but to see things as they are. Now, if you do that, you may end up stopping. But it's not because you're stopping yourself because you're bad. You're just stopping yourself because you don't need to lull yourself to sleep. You can just be aware of the ease. You can be aware of the calmness. You can get interested in it. Generate an alertness, like a real keen interest. What is this experience of ease? Because... If all we do with our meditation practice is learn how to have a nice rest, I mean, it would really be healthy. We'd be all be better off, but we're not going to learn much in any kind of profound way. And this is the main problem for meditators, not necessarily for beginners, but the main obstacle for meditation practice is people find, uh, because they're not cultivating the proper amount of alertness, they fall into trance states, states of tranquility that lead to dullness and sleep. And they don't really learn much over time with their practice. Even though it's a nice experience to meditate, and they, it is a good stress reduction practice, but it can be so much more than that. It can really be life transforming, but not if we just slide into trance states and, and dull states. It, it doesn't really lead very... To, to sort of profound changes. So please bring in those experiences up as you notice them so we can kind of learn from them. Mm-hmm. Yes? John, uh, I have to keep my eyes open. Yeah. So that's a good thing to understand that having the eyes open supports alertness. Now, if you're agitated and restless, closing your eyes may be just the ticket. But if you're really struggling, and a lot of the times people fall asleep not because 
the practice is out of balance is because they're not sleeping enough at night. So there's a difference. But even for people who are sleeping plenty, this problem of going dull or going into trance states is very common for meditators. But yes, if you're if you have a tendency, you might just try to have your eyes open or practice standing instead of sitting. But the basic uh, the basic instruction, if dullness is a problem or sleepiness is a problem, is to make your mind work more. And the the basic work in meditation practice is be more alert. So instead of just sort of generally knowing the breath is coming in and generally knowing the breath is going out, you're making your mind work. So you're asking your mind to actually see the very first moment of the in-breath and then that middle moment of the in-breath and the very end of the in-breath and that little gap before the beginning of the out-breath where there's no in-breath but the out-breath hasn't begun. And then the very beginning of the out-breath and on and on like that. Or asking your mind to note the breath makes it work. So you're, you're asking your mind to note the in and the out of each breath. And just that mental, or that repetition of that mental label will energize the mind. It will support wakefulness. So there are those sorts of tricks to bring the mind, the energy in the mind into balance if there's too much of the tranquility. Then give your mind more to do and that can support the alertness. And it seems kind of um, paradoxical, but there's this basic principle the way you you cultivate, the way you generate energy in the mind, and you can use this anywhere in your life, not just in your meditation practice. If you don't have enough energy, make your mind work, and you energize your mind. You know how it is. Like if you just sit on the couch after a busy day, and you've got so many things to do, and you go, oh, I don't have any energy. But if you just get up and do something, do you notice how energized you are after a few moments? Or just start planning something? You know, you're there on the couch, and then you start thinking, oh, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to... And all of a sudden, you... So don't believe your dull states as, like, this is just how it is. I mean, it may be that you're sleep-deprived, and then just go to sleep. But before you just go to sleep, check it out. Make your mind work, and see if you get energized. And then if you get energized, it's not that you're sleepy, it's just that your mind was out of balance. You weren't given it enough to do. Given the degree of tranquility, there wasn't enough energy-producing activity, which is generally the quality of alertness or interest, wanting to see things as they are, wanting to understand things. That generates more energy in the mind. In the back and then over here. Say it again, your name? Uli. Uli. I was noticing that when I... Uh, and, and distractions that were less pleasant came in, I was happy to excuse them. I didn't have coming, but I was happy to just them. But when there were pleasant distractions, came out, I was more likely to break them. For example, it's hated outside of like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, we'll talk a lot about this, which you brought up, really. This basic, this is like the deepest habit of the mind, <coughs> which is to, in all kinds of ways, to push away what we don't like and to grab a hold of what we, what we do like. And this is really the basic motivation to practice is we realize that having a mind that's conditioned in this way to push away what we don't like to grab a hold of what we do like is stressful. And we can't shut it off. It's such a deep pattern in the mind. And 
it doesn't help because like when I'm getting sick it doesn't do any good for me to resist that to hate the fact that I'm getting sick doesn't make me less likely to get sick or if I'm having a really wonderful time at this class and as we get closer and closer to nine o'clock for me to be saying oh I don't want this then I'm really enjoying being here in front of you all that doesn't all that does is create tension and suffering so when we see this more and more about the mind how the mind generates its own stress we think life is stressful we think our partners are stressful we think this is stressful that is stressful but it's the mind itself the patterns of our mind itself the habits of our mind itself that are stressful and it all uh, comes out of these two basic habits it's really one habit the Buddha calls it grasping but grasping takes two forms pushing away means we're grasping at anything but that you know wanting something is grasping that so aversion and craving are just two the flip side of grasping or clinging is another way it's translated the mind that clings so the Buddha summed up his whole teaching as uh, he said something like the supreme liberation the supreme freedom or release of the heart has been discovered namely liberation through non-clinging that's it non-attachment non-identification with life leads to a very engaged alive happy free existence so it doesn't mean you don't have kids doesn't mean you don't have a job doesn't mean you don't fight for change doesn't mean you don't fall in love or don't cry when someone dies somebody you care about dies it means that as we're knowing as we're seeing as we're feeling all of that the mind isn't grasping it it isn't identifying so there's sadness but it's not constructing a story about the sadness it's just sadness we feel the loss when something sad happens we feel the joy when something beautiful happens we respond when life is asking for our response we sit quietly when life isn't asking for any big response and it's like our personality our you know the this body mind experience it just rolls it just flows through life it's not a passivity it's a perfect responsivity it's like taking the friction out of the responsivity the friction that arises when we're afraid of what's difficult and attached to what's pleasant doesn't mean we don't appreciate what's pleasant doesn't mean we don't feel the pain of what's unpleasant but we're, we've gotten rid of what's extra and this is really the essence of practice is to tease out through the development of awareness or wisdom to tease out what's extra in the mind the self-centered drama the self-centered clinging the self-centered grasping attachment and identification we don't actually need that to be a good partner to be a good citizen to be a good person it's really extra but we don't even realize we're doing it so first we have to catch ourselves like you just you saw a little bit of that tonight Uli just to see here we are in a you know pretty safe comfortable situation and all of a sudden we can't even hear cicadas without clinging to them you know or we can't even feel some ordinary pain in the knee without pushing it away why can't we just let the pain in the knee be pain 
let discomfort be discomfort. Let that beautiful sound of the crickets or the cicadas be what it is. Why does the mind habitually have to react? It doesn't. It's just a habit. And if it's a habit, it can be unlearned. And mindfulness practice is really unlearning all of the habits of reactivity. But we have so many habits of reactivity, we don't have to unlearn them all. It's like there's this, um, this sort of cascading. Once we learn in one situation, like we're, we're practicing noticing the breath in the body, and after a while we notice how, even though we know perfectly well the body can just breathe, we just keep noticing that we're controlling the breath. And, uh, and it's like this very frustrating thing, like, first of all, we want to control it. And then we realize we're controlling it, and we go, oh, I don't want to control it. But that's just more controlling, isn't it? Like, not wanting to control the breath is just another way to control. Like, I want to be the person who's not controlling the breath. It's just more grasping. So when we notice the controlling of the breath, we just allow it to be. See, it's what we're dropping that deep pattern of feeling like we're responsible for doing it right. So if you want to be a good basketball player or a good mother or a good citizen or anything, you got to take the self out of the picture. See, we're not taking the intelligence out of the picture, the discerning wisdom, the clarity, the alertness. We're not taking the responsivity out of the picture being engaged, being connected, acting in the world. All we're taking out of the picture, all we're learning to tease out is the identification, is the attachment, is the self-centered drama. And this all unfolds as we learn by just bringing more and more clear, relaxed awareness to what's happening. That's the ticket. And the only thing in the way is living a life of distraction, being lost in thought, basically. That's what gets in the way of wisdom. We have a couple more minutes. If anybody else has some experience. Oh, actually, we're going to go here, and then we'll go over here. Quick question. My name is Ken. Uh, I seem to get distracted really easily. And Familiar? Familiar? Does it take for somebody that's new to... Uh, some of that, uh, yeah. Well, it, the truth is, some people have more of a talent, not so much for the wisdom, but more of a talent for the settling down, the quietness of mind, than other people. It's just how it is. And so it depends on how much natural talent you have. But the real important point, Ken, is wherever we are in that scale of like how how good this the quality of, of a kind of continuity of attention is for us, like how distracted or non-distracted our mind is, wherever we are on that scale, we can get better. So even if we're somebody who's always distractible, you know, the mind is just flitting about, never lands anywhere before it's off somewhere else, we can get better if we do this training. Or even if you're somebody who you, you just naturally, you were born, you know, even as a child, you play with the tinker toys, you just, you know, you build something, you know, other kids, they, they, after doing one thing, they'd kind of knock it over and want to do something else, but you could be with one thing for a long time. 
even that person can develop the skill even more. I mean, there's really no end to developing this quality of attention. The wisdom comes out of that, but it isn't exclusive. Like, even distractible people can develop wisdom. But what we find is that the more clear, calm the attention, the more the wisdom, more quickly, the greater probability that wisdom will develop, that insight into the nature of the mind, into how the mind can be free. But we want to increase the probability of that insight, the probability of developing wisdom. So we develop the tools that support the development of wisdom. And that's that clear, calm presence. So no matter how distracted you tend to be, we can become more clear and more calm. And I don't know how long it will take. But I know that doing this work, it's good in the beginning. Even if we're really distracted, it may not feel good to sit still for 15 or 20 or 30 minutes. But boy, will it be effective. And don't think that just because the sitting practice is a mess, you sit, the mind gets distracted. You come back to the body, come back to the breath, and you're distracted. You come back, and even on the way of coming back, you get distracted. Like, right? Because you notice you're distracted, and then on your way back, you start thinking about, why am I always so distracted? Which is just another distraction, you know? And then you start thinking about how the guy you were sitting next to at the class, he seems so calm and so, you know, why not me? Or So, but you just keep doing it. Even if you do that th- literally hundreds of times in one sit, you're really strengthening this practice. So don't worry if it's a mess. In a way, the first real insight in practice is to see what a mess the mind is. Some people describe this as like uh, a monkey mind. Maybe you've heard that description. Or another is like this insight into the mind as a waterfall, this kind of... Uh, you could call it vomiting. <laughs> Sometimes it's like that. It's like just this continual upwelling of mental activity, images and thoughts. Sometimes not even full thoughts. It's just like a fragment of a thought. You know, Before you even get the whole thought out, another thought's coming. Some reaction to the thought that didn't really even get out. And then there's another thought. And it's like literally a spewing of mentality. It's like a fountain. You know, like have you seen those... Uh, videos of volcanoes when they're starting to erupt, you know, and they're just sort of gurgling and sometimes there's sort of a big spout of lava and, you know, sometimes it's just sort of smoldering. And it's like our mind is a little bit like that because we basically, through the self-centered activity, we've been stoking the fire for a long time. So thinking has a lot of momentum. And if we think it's going to disappear right away, we're going to be frustrated. And ultimately, we can learn to be at peace with thinking. It's true. Thinking is very seductive, and it's very easy to get lost in it. But ultimately, we learn to not turn thinking into the enemy. It's the attachment to thoughts that's the problem. It's getting identified with the thoughts. The thoughts themselves, what is a thought? Think about a pink elephant. Now, what was that? It was just this little blip of mental energy. I mean, that little image or thought. What is it? It's not much of anything. Even thinking something, everybody thinks something despicable, whatever that is for you. Now, what is that? It's not much of anything. 
it isn't really the despicable thing. You know, if you think like the Holocaust or something like that. Well, the thought of the Holocaust isn't the Holocaust. It's just a thought. Or the thought of your death isn't your death. It's just a thought here and now. It's just a little blip of energy. You can think about getting leprosy. Or you can think about, you know, the perfect paradise that you could live in, you know, with this beautiful house and this perfect car and this perfect body and this perfect personality. And, and that's just a thought here and now. So we, we, we have to understand, you know, through the course of practice, thoughts aren't the problem. It's we take thoughts to be more than what they actually are. That's the problem. It's this diluted relationship to thoughts. I'm going to go to this person first. And then it, we only have a minute left, so it needs to be quick. Trish, um, tingling. It's all over, and it um, switches, and the intensity changes, and where is my focus? Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things we discover as the attention settles down, you know, and there's more of this clarity, this alertness, and more of the non-reactivity, the relaxation, we realize that what we think the body is is just what we think the body is, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what the body actually is. And so we go from this very concrete idea, okay, I've got this physical body, the skeleton with flesh and it hardness, and it's got this particular boundary, but that's not the actual experience of the body when the mind is more refined. And so we just have to allow the body to be trust our actual experience of the body. So if you start to notice the body as a movement of vibration or sensation, a flow, a tingling, a this or a that, you just trust it. And, it. and the breath, what we feel initially with the breath as the attention becomes more subtle, it will be different. But you just notice the breath as it is. Trust your experience. That's the basic principle. Trust what you're knowing. That's what you pay attention to. Don't try to get back to what you think you should be knowing, what you think the breath should be or what you think the body should be. But just trust, well, this is what I'm knowing, so this must be the body. You know, the body, when we say the body, we just mean what we're feeling. So what you're feeling is your body. What you're thinking, what's uh, moving in the mind is thinking. Whatever it is, however subtle, however novel it is, it's just what it is. Thanks, Trish. Something quick? Yeah, good. Yeah, and please remember to bring back your experiences next week. It's really good to hear. And I need to say one more thing that's probably the most important thing I said all week, which is next Thursday afternoon or early evening, no matter how excited you are about this practice, it's very common not to want to come back. <laughs> so I'm saying that because... You can just notice that that's just a thought in the mind, not wanting to come back. I've got too much to do. I'm too tired. This is a profoundly transforming practice. I Still, some of you aren't going to come back, but I really recommend you give it six weeks. Not just showing up here six weeks, but practicing as best you can every night or as best you can almost every day for 15, 30, 45 three hours, whatever you can do, and throughout your day too. So not just getting 20 minutes at home where you do the formal meditation practice, but just as you're standing in the checkout line, just 
bringing to mind the possibility of being more present, clear and relaxed. Remember those two qualities. But please consider the possibility of coming back even if you don't want to. Just remember it's a thought. And that, why not give it six weeks, see if, it's, see if it will be useful. And then after six weeks, if it doesn't make sense in your life, you just let it go. Maybe later in your life you decide to come back to it. Or maybe you come at it in a different way in your life, different approach to mindfulness practice. But I encourage you to, to stick it out. If you have any questions, feel free to come up afterwards. If you have a few minutes, all the folding chairs go downstairs to the left in the corner. You'll see some there. And all the black cushions in the middle of the room here, not the ones along the wall, go downstairs. The big ones go downstairs, and the small ones you're sitting on go in the closet over here. And that would be helpful if, you're, if you have a few minutes to help me. And I'll see you guys next Thursday. Have a good week. Good week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.